Keeping the lights on, 20th of November, 2015. No more music. This week, I want to remember the people of Paris, those who died, those who were injured, their friends, their families, their loved ones. Liberté, égalité, fraternité, solidarité. We are all in this together. Also in this episode, some thoughts on the Paris Climate Conference and a new direction for UK energy policy. The Minister Speaks. Hello, this is Anthony Day and this is the Sustainable Futures Show. This is the second time in less than 12 months that Paris has suffered terrorist attacks. Christiana Figueres, leader of COP21, the United Nations Conference on Climate Change in Paris, has lost no time in confirming that the conference will go ahead. President Obama has confirmed that he will be there as planned. To act otherwise would be giving in to terrorists. Mass demonstrations urging the politicians to come up with effective binding decisions will go ahead as well. I'm in two minds about this. Even before the attacks last Friday, it occurred to me that the demonstration would be a soft terrorist target. The French police and troops have the safety of 195 world leaders and their delegations in their hands. Is it fair to give them the extra burden of thousands of demonstrators? I put this point to colleagues last night who reacted sharply that they would still go to Paris. Governments use the risk of terrorism too often to suppress dissent. True, we live in difficult and dangerous times. Climate change is a matter of life and death. For some people now, for many more people soon, if we don't take urgent action. This week, as we approach COP21, the BBC has spoken to four experts and opinion leaders about their views on climate change and the conference. First, Kevin Rudd, president of the Asia Society Policy Institute. He was at the Copenhagen Conference in 2009, which he attended as Prime Minister of Australia. That failed, he said, because of opposition from China and India. Those were the only countries to send officials rather than heads of state, showing they were not going to take it seriously. This time, all will be different. In the last five years, China's policy has shifted 180 degrees. The Chinese government realises that greenhouse gas emissions are causing disastrous urban pollution. It realises too that the long-term effects of climate change will have serious impacts on China's development opportunities. COP21 in Paris has a strong chance of success because the presence of heads of state raises the political price of failure. David Attenborough, the nation's favourite TV naturalist, said that population was driving climate change. In his lifetime, the world's population has tripled. Everyone wants the same standard of living, and they all encroach on the natural world to meet their ambitions. He believes that if all women have a true choice, the birth rate will fall to replacement level, and he expressed strong criticism of the Pope and the Catholic Church. 
As he approaches his 90th birthday, he recognises that increased life expectancy is also part of the problem. Perhaps we should make old people more productive. Perhaps we should give people the right to end their own lives. Unsurprisingly, that last remark was the one to make headlines. He's optimistic that people will change their minds and improve their understanding of climate change. He takes the example of slavery in the 19th century when it was accepted and taken for granted, but attitudes changed and brought about its abolition in only 20 years. We must transform ourselves from takers into caretakers of our planet. James Cameron is the film director who made both Avatar and Titanic, two of the highest grossing films ever. He is a committed environmentalist and has made a series of documentaries entitled The Years of Living Dangerously. He is a vegan and believes no one can be a credible environmentalist without being a vegan. He tries to limit his consumption and his carbon footprint. He uses solar energy and drives an electric car. He says that being vegan makes him feel empowered because every time he has a vegetable meal he knows he is not killing any animals. He says it's difficult to persuade the public, and he won't persuade me on veganism, because most people are in denial and do not understand the true consequences of climate change. It's also difficult to persuade the public because the media are reluctant to air films which will not attract advertising. A film like Avatar appeals at the emotional level, but the challenge is to engage people at the intellectual level, to get people to understand, as it says in the film, that there is no fate but what we make for ourselves. David Mackay was chief scientist at the Department for Energy and Climate Change until 2014. He is the author of Sustainable Energy Without the Hot Air. I've mentioned it before, so I'm sure you've read it. It's a free download from withouthotair.com. I agree with everything he says in the book, except where he quotes Jeremy Clarkson's opinion of hybrid cars. And agrees with it. David Mackay told the BBC that the difficulty with energy policy is that the government has conflicting objectives and conflicting constraints. Much of the legislation can be scientifically illiterate and leads to unintended consequences. He quoted an example of making a choice between a biomass boiler and an insulation project. Assuming both would deliver the same energy savings, subsidies made the boiler seven times as attractive as the insulation. The boiler was the natural choice but added to greenhouse gas emissions. The insulation would have had the same effect, but with no emissions. The case of renewable energy targets working against emissions targets. David Mackay was responsible for analysing the life cycle carbon footprint of converting power stations to burnt biomass. To the minister's surprise, his conclusion was that there was no reduction in greenhouse gas emissions. The project went ahead anyway. He says that the battle between Cameron and Miliband over energy bills broke their consensus on energy policy and led to very short-term political measures. One example was reducing subsidies for insulation, ignoring the effect on insulation businesses, some of which shed employees and others which closed down. David Mackay believes that there will be continuing cynicism about climate change until people experience it directly. 
Let's hope that's not too late. You can find all these interviews on the BBC website and download them as a podcast. Search for Costing the Earth. The big news which was trailed extensively this week was that the government would announce a timetable ensuring that coal power stations would all close by 2025. Before Secretary of State Amber Rudd's big speech, there was speculation in the press. Coal would be replaced by more gas power stations. But wind and solar are very cheap in operation and are disrupting the market, and interconnectors bringing power from the continent can also depress prices. As a result, it is not economic to build gas power stations in the present environment. Keith Anderson of Scottish Power said that the entire system needed to be tackled. Investment in gas plant was urgently required, but there should also be development of renewables. Subsidies should be phased out, but over a sensible period of time, and not brought to a sudden halt. Tony Lodge, from the Centre for Policy Studies, and author of the Great Green Hangover Report, said that in the past there had been inappropriate emphasis on renewables because with baseload power stations like Long Gannett closing next year, renewables are not yet able to close the gap. In total, 10% of the UK's electricity generating capacity will be closed by April next year, equivalent to 20% of the demand from industry. In the 25 years since privatisation, there has been no investment in baseload capacity. Tony Lodge foresees trouble within 18 months. Paul Eakins, Professor of Energy and Environment Policy at UCL, told the BBC that the government's energy policies since the election made no sense. They would miss their emissions targets and had abandoned the cheapest sources of energy, onshore wind and solar power, replacing it eventually with very expensive and heavily subsidised nuclear. The dash for gas which the government has hinted at would cause Britain to miss its emission targets. This is because it would be in the interests of the private operators to run their gas power stations for as many hours as possible. Eakins had heard that the government were planning 25 new gas power stations. In his view, only 10 would be needed. They would provide the backup baseload and might not run at all for some months of the year. More renewables are needed, but renewables will be cut back. Subsidies might be needed for a few more years, but certainly not beyond 2020. Meanwhile, the future of the renewables industry is in doubt, and more gas will be required to fill the gap. Removing subsidies at short notice has severely impacted those who have started to invest in renewables projects. Companies go out of business and jobs are lost. Changes to investment policies at short notice damage the government's credibility. If investors cannot trust the government, they will not invest in renewables, or anything else. The minister was interviewed before her speech and asked whether as many as 25 new gas power stations were in fact planned. She said this was a matter of a discussion. In fact, she stonewalled most of the questions. No, new gas power stations would not lead us to exceed our emissions targets. No, short-term changes to subsidies had not damaged the government's credibility with investors. No, Investors had not cut jobs. She would bring forward proposals in due course. When the speech finally came, what did the minister say? 
We don't know all of it because in four places the official text was marked Political Content Redacted. Why was that? The speech was delivered at a public event. Are we not allowed to know what exactly she said? Would we have been shocked if, for example, it was revealed that she'd been rude about the previous government? We may never know. As expected, she talked about the need to phase out coal and confirmed that it would be gone by 2025. She spoke about nuclear and the gas from fracking that would meet our needs in the 2030s. She said that we should also support the growth of our world-leading offshore wind industry, but that further support will be strictly conditional on the cost reductions we have seen already accelerating. The technology needs to move quickly to cost competitiveness. If that happens, we could support up to 10 gigawatts of new offshore wind projects in the 2020s. It sounds from this that the sole criterion for supporting offshore wind is financial. Is there no value in energy security? No one can cut off British wind. Is there no value in clean energy? The minister herself says climate change is a big problem. But later in the speech, she says, in the same way generators should pay the cost of pollution, we also want intermittent generators to be responsible for the pressures they add to the system when the wind does not blow or the sun does not shine. Only when different technologies face their full costs can we achieve a more competitive market. Let's read that again. In the same way generators should pay the cost of pollution, we also want intermittent generators to be responsible for the pressures they add to the system when the wind does not blow or the sun does not shine. Only when different technologies face their full costs can we achieve a more competitive market. This sounds to me like a reverse subsidy, a surcharge. It sounds like a mechanism to destroy the economics of offshore wind and leave the market open for gas and nuclear. You can read the whole speech on the DEC website, but in my view, she said very little of substance and very little of use. We are going to close our dirty coal-fired power stations by 2025 and replace them with much cleaner gas. Sounds green, and you want a green announcement just before the Paris summit? But gas is still a polluting fossil fuel, and the plan has always been to reduce coal to 1% of our energy supply by 2025 anyway. Where are we going to get the gas for our new power stations? Shale gas, fracking. But the Royal Academy of Engineering reported last month to the Prime Minister's Committee on Science and Technology saying that fracking was unlikely to yield any gas before 2030, and then not very much. Where's the incentive to build new gas plants? All the minister could say was that she was clearing the field by closing the coal plants, which we knew already. Reading between some of the lines, you might begin to suspect that she's clearing out renewables as well. Will gas be cheap? Not as cheap as renewables, although it can provide baseload, which renewables will not be able to do until energy storage has been improved. Will gas be secure? We already import up to 20% of our gas from Qatar, and this could increase as the North Sea declines. 
such supplies are as secure as the politics of the Middle East. Will gas be clean? No, it's a fossil fuel. It's cleaner than coal, but it still emits greenhouse gases and more greenhouse gases than will allow us to meet our emissions targets in the coming years. The Minister has already been criticised recently for misleading Parliament over whether or not we were meeting our current targets. And while targets may be arbitrary, fictional values, the truth is that greenhouse gas emissions are threatening our climate, our food supplies, our sea levels, and are turning millions of people into refugees. That's why we must reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. All in all, was the hype about this statement on a new direction for UK energy policy just a fuss about nothing? A lot of fuss. Nothing really new. No clear incentives for investment. Grand plans for keeping the lights on in 2025 and beyond. Fracking and nuclear, we knew about that. But no explanations of how we'll be able to keep the lights on this winter or next. We'll just have to wait and see. Actually, rather than waiting and seeing, waiting for the government to come up with firm proposals and solutions to our energy problems, wouldn't it be a good idea to make plans to protect your business if things go wrong? Why not give me a call and we can talk through the type of things which could put your organisation at risk and decide how best to be prepared. The number's on the website, anthony-day.com or drop me an email at mail at anthony-day.com Give me a call and a cup of coffee and I'll tell you what I think. Bargain of the week. This is Anthony Day, the Sustainability Coach, and that was the Sustainable Futures Show. I've had to hold a few things over, like geothermal energy and underground coal gasification, the war on waste and staff engagement with the sustainability agenda, so there will definitely be another episode next week. But that's it. Until then. In the meantime, remember Paris.